0: Good to see all of you tonight. Acts chapter 6 tonight as we continue our series in the book of Acts. I have been praying throughout the day in preparation for tonight that, as always, that the message tonight would be such an encouragement, but also a challenge to us to see people just like us though they lived several thousand years ago and and what god could do through a group a group of people that were so committed to him and and we can be that as well there's nothing hindering that except us not being willing in a sense as we've even sung about already to be filled up with god which means emptied of ourselves before we get into this passage tonight i also want to say this we many times as human beings, tend to look back on any kind of history and romanticize it at times. I've shared with you how we have done that uh, in looking back at, at things like the Civil War, that you know I'm, I, I love that period of our history and have studied it and whatever, and yet when you read it sometimes, when you even look at the artwork done about it, it, it can tend to romanticize such a such an awful really event in our nation's history, uh, our civil war. And and we make it sometimes antiseptic, if you will. We, we clean it all up before we, you know, see it. And many times that's what we even do with the Word of God, or, or even looking back on, say, church history and, and the early church. We, we get, I don't know how sometimes, but this sort of romantic picture of the early church and that You know, they never had any problems and they always got along and there were never any struggles and there were never any difficulties and trials and all of that. And yet when you read the account in the Word of God of the early church, there's none of that. There's all kinds of struggles and there's all kinds of trials and there's pressures coming at the church from outside. There's things coming from within the church and And here tonight, we're going to see that there's a challenge that arises uh, to the church and, and the thing that we're seeing is not that the early church doesn't have things to deal with, but I think the thing that separates them from many churches today and many bodies of believers is how they dealt with it and and what they did that makes it maybe so different than than what we see in many circles today so i hope again that this passage will be an encouragement and a challenge and as i shared even sunday um, about this message tonight this is a great message for leaders and all of us are leaders whether we look at ourselves that way or not because god has entrusted something to us we are all stewards of things that are not our own. And, and then we are then going to give an account of our stewardship one day to God. And so therefore we are leaders. And we see a lot of great leadership principles here as well in Acts chapter 6. So let's get into this tonight. In the first couple verses, we see what what is happening here. Now in those days, when the disciples were growing in numbers, I want to stop right there, because I want us to see tonight, right away, what's happening here. There is spiritual growth, and there is physical growth, both taking place in the early church. Yes, the numbers are growing, but more importantly, disciples are growing. And that's how we know it's spiritual growth. It's not just people in a seat. It's not just people who come to spectate, people who are just there, you know, to take up space in a local church. These are disciples. And let's remember what a disciple is. It is someone who is learning and they are continually learning by practice and use. That's what a disciple is. And remember, that's what Jesus challenged the church to make. He said in the Great Commission at the end of Matthew 28, go and make disciples. He didn't say go and make converts. He didn't say go out and try to get as many people as you can to say the sinner's prayer. He didn't say, get as many people as you can to come to your church. No. He said, go into all the world and make disciples. And there is a difference between someone who is a disciple of Jesus Christ and someone who is simply a Christian. Someone who's saved. Someone who knows the Lord, but may not be a disciple. And so notice again here in Acts 6. One of the great things that's happening is, yes, there's numerical growth, but there's also spiritual growth as well. But because of growth, there are challenges. There always will be. Growth is good. Growth is a sign of health. Growth is a sign of vitality. We all need to be growing, individually and corporately. But when we grow... It's going to present new challenges, just as it did in the early church. And that's not necessarily bad. It's God giving us a chance as leaders and as his people to solve problems with him and to be able to look at the challenges and see how we can overcome them and rise to the challenges that come our way as we grow. And so that was true here. Notice it says, in those days when the disciples were growing in number, a complaint, a a murmuring, literally, a whispering arose on the part of the Greek-speaking Jews against the native Hebraic Jews because their widows, meaning the Greek-speaking Jews' widows, were being overlooked or neglected in the daily distribution of food. First, let me start here especially in those days. It was important that somebody step up and take care of many widows because many widows in that day had no one else to turn to. They were literally alone. And so it was great that the church was going to step up and help those who were in the greatest need. But you'll notice something else here. That God always wanted His church to be made up of different people, different classes, different cultures. And you even see it here. And yet when cultures, uh, different cultures are together within this body that is to be unified in Christ, there can still be some of those, those differences, if you will, that sometimes can cause issues. In other words, the Greek-speaking Jews were thinking that the neglect their widows being neglected was something that was done intentionally and it really wasn't there's nothing in the text that says that that this one group within, within the church was intentionally neglecting this group of widows I think it just goes back to, remember, the church was exploding. There were now over thousands and thousands of new believers in Jerusalem. And I think it was just a thing of, they couldn't keep up with the growth. And this was one of the the areas that was getting left behind, getting neglected. But here's what Satan, our spiritual enemy, will try to do. He will try to look for differences within the body of Christ. It is to be unified and try to start getting those people within the body of Christ to start fighting with each other instead of fighting the common enemy, which is him. And if he can do that, even by causing within one group or one person or one family or whatever, to even begin to think that something was done intentionally when it wasn't, we can start to see what kind of trouble that can cause, where that can start to break down the, disu- or the unity of the church rather than us coming together. And that's exactly what was happening here. They had already been dealing with persecution from outside, and the pressure of the world was coming against them. And then they had this that we talked about last week, where Ananias and Sapphira... We're being, you know, deliberately deceitful, and causing problems themselves within the local assembly there, and now we've got this issue, where things are happening that are great, but now there's this group that seems to be neglected, and there's this group over here that says, hey, this isn't right, and, and, but yet, instead of Dealing with it properly, they began to whisper and murmur about it amongst each other. And they started to think that they're doing this on purpose. They're intentionally doing this, you see. And building something up in their mind that really wasn't happening. There is no evidence of that at all. And these are the things as leaders, these are the things as God's people that we've got to always be aware of. For instance, the Oasis, we have such a great spirit here and have for quite a while. And there's no, you know, really outward dissension or carping or anything like that. It's great. And as the pastor, I'm like, let's ride this wave as long as we can. But make no mistake about it, it's not like Satan sitting back there just, you know, happy that that's happening. No, he's going to try to to drive, you know, wedges between people even in this church, just like he does every church because he doesn't want God's people to be unified to fight him, the common enemy. He wants us to take all of our time and energy fighting each other and dealing with issues with each other rather than being out there winning people to Christ and focusing on the growth of, of other Christians and our own growth as well. And that's exactly what we, you know, in seed form, that's what was beginning to happen here. You see. But notice what happened. Somewhere along the line, whether it was just through the Spirit of God revealing something supernaturally to the apostles, or whether somehow they just got wind of this murmuring, this whispering, this complaining over here by this one part of the church, here's the way they handled it. And this is one of the great things we see about their leadership. The 12 called the whole group of the disciples together, they communicated. They didn't say, as many people do sometimes in leadership, and we can all struggle with this, well, I'm just going to let this go and let it solve itself. No, they didn't do that. Or, I'm going to go to the one group, and I'm going to talk to them about this. No, that's not what they did either. They got everybody in the same room and laid everything out there. They they wanted everybody to be a part of this. Not just the people that were involved. They wanted everybody. They wanted transparency. They wanted to communicate. Communication is so important in in anything that we do. Because a lot of times in churches and in even our dealing with other Christians, part of why our relationships with each other breaks down is simply because of a lack of communication if we would keep communicating with each other and literally sit down and lay things out and know how each other is feeling and thinking, then there wouldn't be all the questions of intention and what I wonder what they meant by that and all of that that we can go through that can begin to, to drive wedges in our relationships with each other. They did a very important thing that we need to follow. And that is, they communicated with the entire group and laid it all out there together. And notice what they said. First of all, they put up boundaries. They said no to some things. Oh, that we as God's people would learn that principle of putting up personal boundaries. And even with things that are good, Hey, there's nothing in this text that doesn't say that the widows should be neglected. There's nothing in this text that said that the church shouldn't have taken care of these widows. Not at all. It was something that was right to do. But the apostles were saying something very important to the church early on and something very important to us. And that is, as God's people and even as leaders, all of us have to put up personal boundaries and at times say no, even to good things. And that's exactly what they did. Notice they said, it is not right for us. And that word speaks about right even before God. For us to neglect the word to disregard the Word of God to wait on tables. Now, here's what they're not saying as the apostles. They're not saying that waiting on widows or waiting on tables is beneath them. That's not what they're saying. I mean, Jesus modeled for us. Put on the, the servant's towel and wash people's feet. And He modeled for us that as His people... There should never be tasks or things that we feel are beneath us. In fact, doesn't Jesus model for us just the opposite? That the greatest in His kingdom will be the one who's willing to serve. So it's not a question here of the apostles thought they were better than everyone else, and so, you know, somebody else should take care of that. That's beneath us what they were communicating was God has placed a calling and responsibility on our lives as the apostles, as leaders. And God's call on our lives is to minister the Word and pray. And if we take on more than what we can humanly take on, then we're going to leave the Word of God behind. We're going to neglect the prayer that we should be involved with in doing this and the church is going to ultimately suffer long term because we need to be teaching and we need to be able to be in the word in order to teach effectively in fact notice down in verse 4 they say We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Our constant in our lives as the apostles, as the leaders of the church, has got to be that we're going to spend the predominant number of hours a week in the Word and in prayer. Because that's actually going to benefit the church. By us staying focused. By us staying undistracted. And listen to me, friends. One of the greatest things that Satan does in all of our lives as Christians is to distract us from what should be our primary focus all the time. He's always throwing red herrings up there and Christians are just chasing after all of them. Oh, that looks good. I think I'll run over here. I think I'll get involved in this. Now I think I'll do this. And we again... Get involved in so many things that we're just ending up being those plate spinners. I used to see when I was growing up, you know, the guys that used to come on, I know I'm dating myself, the Ed Sullivan show. You know, shows like that. And they would have those sticks and they would get those plates spinning and then they'd go around. That's the way a lot of Christians live their lives. We must stay focused. And listen, folks, every time we say yes to something, we actually are also then saying no to something else. That's what we've got to realize. Though we live in a day and age where multitasking is almost put on a pedestal as if it's something to be proud of, that when you go into the Word of God and see Christians who were effective for God, they were never proud of being someone that was involved in a thousand different things. They were people like the apostles that had learned a very important principle. This is what God has got me focused on. This is what he's called me to. This is my primary responsibility in this season of my life. And though there's a lot of good things that I could get involved with, I've got to learn to say no. I've got to learn to put up personal boundaries. I've got to stay focused because ultimately what God is, tra- or what the enemy's trying to do is get me distracted from what God's primary calling and purpose for my life is. And of course, we talked about God's purpose for our life on Sunday from the book of Romans. That's what we see here. That's a big leadership principle. A big leadership principle for all of us in our lives. We've got to learn to lead ourselves first before we can lead others. And you see that happening here in Acts chapter 6. But notice what they do say. In verse 3, the apostles say, look, again, this is something that needs to be taken care of, so here's what we as the church need to do. We need to carefully select from among you brothers seven men who are well attested, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, who we may put in charge, who we may set or place over, literally administrate this very necessary task. Again, several things about leadership here. First of all, they said, look, this may seem like this is just not a very maybe important task, maybe not a spiritual task or ministry in the church, it's about making sure the widows are taken care of, which is very important. But they didn't look at it that way, did they? See, in, in churches and even amongst as Christians, we sometimes compartmentalize and separate things into spiritual ministry and not-so-spiritual ministry. And I think that's, again, where we make a mistake. Because in the book of Acts and in the Bible, what we learn is there is no such thing as non-spiritual ministry. Therefore, every position in the church, even making sure widows are taken care of and served, from the church's perspective, from God's perspective, is not something to be taken lightly. Therefore, it wasn't just, hey, who wants to help? Anybody want to help the widows? You know, see me. No, it was, you take the time to carefully select. We would maybe even use the term vet today. In other words, we're not just going to take anybody for this ministry. We're not just going to call for volunteers. This is important, because the early church recognized something that many times again the modern church doesn't. And that is that every ministry that's done through the church and in the church is representative of Jesus Christ, no matter what it is. Even if it's someone who, you know, cleans... That from God's perspective, if we're doing it for His people and we're doing it for Him and we are part of His body, then we are His ambassador. We are representative of Jesus Christ and therefore no ministry is minuscule in God's eyes. No person that ministers is a small person in God's eyes. It's all important ministry and it all needs to be done in a spiritual manner and that's why even to serve widows notice the standard you need to take time and see again this is we don't take enough time to observe before we select who is part of our teams and sometimes that gets us into trouble and can i say i will i will confess to you my people That as your pastor, even in these last now almost five years, some of the issues that I've had to deal with, that we have had to deal with at times, though they haven't been many, come back to sometimes because I allowed somebody to be in a position of leadership in this church that had no business being there. And when I allowed that to happen, guess what? trouble. That's why God says, be careful, leaders. If you're in charge of a ministry at this church, be careful of who you are inviting to be part of your team and who represents Christ and who in a sense is representing you. It's important to take time to observe In the church, though, we've gotten so accustomed that we we have such a deficiency in people in the church who are willing to serve and minister over the years that we just take anybody and everybody. And then we wonder why ministries and churches suffer the way they do and why we're dealing with trouble and why we're having to go around, you know, always wondering, you know, are they going to be reliable? Are they going to be dependable? Are they going to be faithful? See, that should never be an issue. If we do things biblically, we should, before we ever put somebody in a place of leadership, we should let them prove whether they're faithful, reliable, or dependable. Even the book of Proverbs, and I'm I'm paraphrasing here, says that if we entrust something to someone who's unreliable, it just causes us all kinds of issues and problems. And we all know that to be true. Sorry, I'm not going to get through this tonight. I'll get through as much as God wants us to get through. huh? So he says, carefully, verse 3, select from among you, brothers, seven men who are well attested. It means who have a good report. Who are well respected in the community of believers. It is important what other Christians think of us. It is important. Because that's one of the things that, you know, as you start thinking about people and positions and whatnot, well, if if this person has a terrible reputation amongst the believers, then maybe that's a red flag. Maybe there's something wrong here. Then it goes on to say, full of the Spirit. Literally, thoroughly permeate, permeated with the Spirit of God. And I, I shared this during worship time or before we worship tonight, that one of the things you see here is that that these people were filled up with God, which meant, automatically, implied, they were emptied of themselves. Because God can't fill up a vessel that's filled already. The only way we can be filled with God is when self isn't there. And that's why maybe the first thing we all need to do every day is die to self. That's why Jesus said, you want to be my disciple? Take up your cross daily and follow me. Because it's only when we get rid of self that God can truly fill us up. And that's what was happening here. They were thoroughly permeated with the Spirit of God because they were emptied of self. And then it says they were also full of wisdom. The skill in managing the affairs of life. There was a spiritual component, but there was also a a manager-administrative component to this as well. And then again, the Apostle said, we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. By the way, the word devote there means to be constant. It means to be steadfastly attentive to something. Now, obviously, God wants all of us as Christians to be steadfastly attentive to prayer and to the Word of God. But in this case, again, notice that the word... uh, Ministry here, in verse 4, is an important word. It's a word that means to prepare and present the Word of God. And unless you've never been up in front of a group of people and taught or given a message, it is hard to appreciate the time that's needed to do it effectively in preparing and presenting even just one message. And yet it's necessary. This is one of those verses in the Word of God that God sort of drilled into me years ago as a young pastor, is that there's a lot I could get involved in, but if I was going to be effective in teaching the Word of God, there was a lot that I was going to have to say no to, and that I was going to have to have a laser focus and zero in on preparing and presenting the Word of God to God's people and spending time in prayer. And again, that principle, though, runs true for all of us, no matter what God's called us to. To prevent us from being distracted from what really God wants us to be involved with. And to give it our all to that, as we say. So, notice, the proposal pleased the entire group. Literally, the word means it excited the entire group. When was the last time there was a decision in a local church and everybody was excited about it? Well, this was, they said, that's cool. Because they understood something. If the apostles stay focused on what God's called them to, obviously we're going to benefit. Because they're going to be in prayer. They're going to be in the Word. When they present the Word to us, we're going to grow from, from their understanding and their knowledge and their teaching us the Word. But also, the widows are going to get taken care of. Oh, and not just by anybody. They're going to get taken care of by the best of the best. Man, these people... They're full of wisdom. They're full of the Spirit. They've got a good reputation amongst the whole church. We're not just giving the widows, in a sense, the leftovers. We're giving them our very best. So that's why I think it pleased everybody. Everybody was happy. So they chose Stephen, a man, again, full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, with Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenus, and Nicholas. A Gentile convert to Judaism from Antioch. By the way, the word chosen, verse 5, is an interesting word as well. It means to stand out from others. In other words, sort of giving it from the other side of it. The reason these men were chosen is because they stood out from the crowd. They stood out from others. There was something distinguishing about them. Great principle and leading. Who is it in your circle that stands out, that distinguishes themselves? Those are the ones to give more to, you see. And that's what was happening here. There will always be those in our lives that tend to stand out. They don't just do what everybody else is doing. They don't just, they're not just satisfied with the status quo. They're, they're, Their perception or perspective isn't just, well, because this is the way all the other Christians are living, that's the way I'll live too. No, my goodness, they are on fire for God, and if they stand out like a sore thumb, they're standing out. But it's those Christians that are truly committed and devoted that will always stand out. Because there are many that's just satisfied just to just sort of flop along. But not these men. They wanted more. And because they wanted more, they got more. So they stood these men, verse 6, before the apostles who prayed and placed their hands on them. The placing of hands on them in public was a way to publicly show their support. The apostles were basically saying, we're behind them. We support them. And not just in word. This was something that was done publicly so that there was an accountability there. It's why sometimes in the church we do it today. That we're, in a sense, putting our money and our our time and our effort and our prayers into someone or some ministry or something and saying, listen, we support you. We're behind you. And if you ever need me, I'll be there for you. That's what placing hands on somebody meant. It meant to them, you're not going to be out there doing this alone. We'll be there. And if you need something, come to us. We'll be accessible. We'll be there to help. That's an important principle of leadership as well. And notice then, because of the way they handled this potential problem, notice by handling it the way they did, then what happened in verse 7? The word of God continued to spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. The words continued to spread mean to grow or increase. In other words, the principle here is as the word of God somehow can grow and increase, spiritual growth happens as well. It's about getting the Word of God out there. And the more we can get the Word of God out to people, for those who want to hear, for those who have a heart to hear, for those who are receptive to God's Word, growth will take place. Because God says, my Word will not return void. So going back to even what I shared last week, that's why I wanted to do podcasts. Because people from all over the country, all over the world, listen to those messages of the Word of God. And growth is taking place. And we're even thinking now about other ways that we as a church can get the Word of God out. Because God's Word is like just letting a lion loose. It'll take care of things. We just have to let it loose and let it do its job. And that's what the early church was doing. They were just saturating Jerusalem with Christian doctrine. And growth was taking place. By the way, another interesting thing, before we move on, when it talks about priests becoming obedient, this is another interesting word. The word obedient literally means to listen or submit. I mean, think about it. These were priests in the temple. These were priests who had been brought up with all the Old Testament ritual and sacrificial system, and for them to forsake all of that and basically say, I believe in Jesus? That was that was a lot. We, we could even add the word, that was humbling. Because in a sense, like what Paul had to do They basically had to say, all that we were brought up in, all that we were brought up on, all that we had thought we were right all this time, now we realize we have to admit we're wrong. And so they had to surrender and submit and listen to the Word of God as it was proclaimed. Well, I can get through this. Stephen obviously, I think, was standing out maybe even more than the rest. And I think, again, one of the reasons why, notice how it describes Stephen in verse 8. It says, now Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Again, he was thoroughly permeated with God's grace and power. Here, Every time he's described in Acts chapter 6, he's full of something. Full of something good, but he's full of something. Again, which means there's nothing about Stephen that has anything to do with self. Nothing. Talk about someone who has died to self, Stephen. Because he's so full of the graces of God and the resources of God and the Holy Spirit of God, there's no room for anything of Stephen left. He's a great example and a great challenge for us as Christians. Because Stephen is just like us, flesh and blood, human being. He had the battle with his old selfish, fallen nature, just like the rest of us. But it shows that we can conquer that through Christ. And we can put Christ first rather than ourselves, even as we talked about on Sunday. So it says, and here's again, when God begins to work in your life and work through you, I'm telling you, expect the enemy. Because again, the enemy is not just going to sit back and start watching you grow and making you know all these increases spiritually and moving forward spiritually and, and, and just all of a sudden going to another level and just sitting back and not letting anything happen. No, he's going to throw everything he can at you to discourage you to distract you, whatever. And that's exactly what we see happening here again. It's a pattern throughout the book of Acts. Some men from the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, both Cyrenians and Alexandrians, as well as some from Cilicia and the province of Asia, stood up and argued with Stephen. They literally wanted to dispute and question him. In a sense, we would maybe even use the word debate. But notice what it says. Yet they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit with which he spoke. They could not withstand him. They could not oppose him. Because he was filled up with the wisdom of God and the spirit of God. And he had an answer. He is a great example of what even Peter talks about when when Peter says in 1 Peter 3.15 to Christians, set apart Christ Jesus as Lord in your hearts and be always ready to give an answer of the hope that is within you when you're asked, when you're questioned. Be willing to defend your faith. Be willing to have an answer for what you believe and why you believe it. All the more reason why we need to be in the Word of God and allow the Spirit of God to teach us and fill us and gain God's wisdom. Because there will be those, especially when we start to march forward spiritually, who are going to try to attack us, question us, argue with us, and get us off track. Think of even the book of Nehemiah with people like Sanballat and Tobiah who try to get Nehemiah to come down off the wall and Nehemiah says I ain't coming down off this wall I'm doing a great work for God I'm not going to be distracted so then notice what happens if they can't get you riled up from a frontal assault then they're going to try to come in the back door it's the way Satan always works He may try to come right at you at first, but if that doesn't work, get ready for something to come out of the blue from where you least expect it. And that's exactly what happened to Stephen. They secretly instigated, literally they bribed some men to say, we've heard this man speaking blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they incited the people, the elders and the experts in the law. Listen. We've got to be careful as God's people that we are not so easily stirred and incited by others and what they say. People today are so easily stirred up and incited to some action just based upon what others are saying and how others are feeling. I mean, think about it at the trial of Jesus. People started to incite and stir up the crowd. We want Barabbas! Crucify Jesus! And that's exactly what happened. It was that crowd mob mentality. Folks, nothing has changed. That same mentality is even worse today. And we have to be careful in the church that we don't get caught up and stirred up by some of the things that others are saying. We better make sure that we are being led by the Holy Spirit of God and that there's a settledness and that we're not so easily stirred up and incited to things. Because that's not how God usually works. But that's how these folks worked. They approached Stephen, seized him, brought him before the council. They brought him forward with false witnesses, literally deceitful witnesses, who said, This man does not stop saying these things against the holy place and the law. For we have heard him saying that Jesus the Nazarene will destroy this place and change the customs that Moses handed down to us. Folks, here's what Stephen did. He wasn't bashing Moses or bashing the temple or bashing the law or anything else. What he was doing was he was exalting Jesus Christ. And by exalting Jesus Christ, he obviously was implying that everything else is underneath Jesus. And to the Jew in that day, that was blasphemous. Because to them, they had put things that shouldn't have been on the pedestal on the pedestal. And when Stephen and others came along and said, Jesus knocks off everything on your pedestal. Get everything off your pedestal except Jesus. He alone is to be adored and worshiped. That's what caused the problem. It wasn't that he was, obviously, he didn't say anything against Moses or the law or the temple. It was all good stuff in its rightful place, but everything in the Old Testament pointed to Jesus. Now that Jesus is here, it's like the early church is saying, recognize that Jesus is the fulfillment of all that. You don't need that anymore. Everything you need is found in Him. That was the problem. He exalted Jesus. And when you and I exalt Jesus, there will be problems. Even in our non-religious society today, you can go out there even in public a lot of times and get away with talking about God. And you probably won't get too much pushback or persecution. But bring up the name of Jesus. And that's where the trouble begins. Jesus. One final verse. All who were sitting in the council looked intently at Stephen you ever heard the expression they tried to burn a hole through me when they looked at me that's what was happening here I can imagine the look that they were giving Stephen how dare this young man do what he's doing who does he think he is and yet notice what the Bible says when they saw his face it was like the face of an angel Why does God want to describe Stephen's face like the face of an angel? Because an angel is a messenger that is sent from the presence of God. And what is implied here in that phrase is simply that when they looked at Stephen, it was as if he had come from the very presence of God that even though they didn't want anything to do with what Stephen was saying, they could not deny that there was, in a sense, the presence of God, that there was something different about this young man. It's exactly what we heard early on in the book of Acts when others were saying, hey, aren't these the people, I recognize them, that they had been with Jesus. And because they had been with Jesus, there was something different about the way they acted and the way they looked and the way they carried themselves. That's exactly what we see here. Because Stephen was standing up for Jesus, Jesus was standing up for him. And next week, in chapter 7, we're going to see one of the most incredible events in all the Word of God. And I think it will inspire us when we see it for what it is. Let's close in prayer. God, I pray tonight that as we travel through this great book of Acts, dealing with the the first months and years of the church, and all that the church had to deal with, and how they dealt with it, that God, it would inspire and encourage and challenge us as Christians 2,000 years later of how we should be a part of the church and how our lives should look and how we should handle and deal with things in our lives and not let things begin to fester and and get a hold of us to where, Lord, the body of Christ begins to, to get divided and and disintegrate and dismantle. God, help us to stay strong. Help us to stay as one. Help us, Lord, to come together and go after the real enemy. Help us to stay focused. Lord, I know even tonight that for those who are here, they may seek to walk away from here and seeking to to stay focused on something, and yet, Lord, we know that the enemy is not going to leave us alone. He might throw a lot at us, even tomorrow or even tonight, to begin to get our minds going in 20,000 different directions. God, You help us, as only You can, to keep our minds where they need to be on You. And to keep focused on what our primary calling and our primary responsibilities are in this season of life. Give us the courage of Stephen. Give us the wisdom of Stephen, God. Help us to walk through this life with such a countenance that we have been in fellowship with You that others can even notice that we have spent time with You because of the way we carry ourselves. Use us, God, to draw others to Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, come back on Sunday. We've got some other good stuff for you. We'll see you next week. Oh, by the way, ice cream next week. Ice cream social next week. So don't forget to come and bring somebody with you.